Welcome back to the First in Tech podcast. I'm your host, technician sports editor Camden Spate. I'm assistant sports editor Jake Cacavaro. And I'm video editor Jalen Harrington. We have a lot to talk about today as uh, NC State traveled to West Virginia last weekend and didn't come out with a victory like we thought. And uh, we will get to that. First, as we start every podcast, we're going to talk about something from the sports world. Today, I'm going to talk about NFL QBs because there's a, there's a lot of news in that, and that is Roethlisberger, he hurt his elbow, I believe. He's out for the season. Drew Brees, he hurt his thumb. He's out for six weeks, I think. And news today that Eli Manning will not get the start for the Giants in this coming weekend. So, Jalen, what you got? There's also Sam Darnold who has mono. That's true. <laughs> Sam Darnold, he's like quarantined from the team for what, like two to three weeks or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, you know, you have these veteran guys in Roethlisberger and Breeze getting injuries. And then you have a veteran guy in Eli Manning who is now going to take the sideline role for Daniel Jones. Um, so, first, some thoughts about, you know, these teams that are having these franchise quarterbacks in, you know, as they grow older, they're going to get hurt and stuff like that. But these like names that have been around for so long that will not be participating at least for the next six weeks in breeze. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know how Eli Manning gets beat out by a dude that looks like a cross between Eli Manning and the guy from dumb and dumber. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy to me just how many quarterbacks have gone down and how many new quarterbacks there are. I mean, you can even go back to Andrew Luck and consider that Jacoby Brissett. No one would have thought a year ago he'd be starting games. There's so many quarterbacks down and it just makes the NFL so much more exciting. Well, I think, I think the Giants should have started Daniel Jones from the get go. Like it, if you draft someone top 10, why not just play them? Like, you know what you have in Eli. He sucks. Well, like, I it, like what kind of like the Browns did last year. I think they had Tyrod Taylor go for a couple weeks just to have someone else in there so Baker Mayfield can just watch, you know? I feel like that's a good thing. Yeah, but, you you like to let your young quarterback learn a little bit and not just get thrown into the fire. I think Josh Rosen, did he, did he start immediately? I want to say he did. And that didn't turn out too well. But you it, know. It, There's an adjustment for some quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks can start To be fair, I think Daniel Jones was a, a ready quarterback. He was in, in the pocket. He looked like he was Eli Manning. But I, I used to subscribe to that same theory, too, of waiting, like the Patrick Mahomes thing, how he waited for a year. But the thing is, like, if you have it, you have it. Like, if you're a quarterback who can adjust to the NFL thing, you'll to like going from college to NFL, you'll adjust. Like, I don't think Daniel Jones was going to go in and instantly throw for like 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns or whatever. But if you can adjust, you'll adjust. I don't think by waiting a year you gain that ability. I think like if Patrick Mahomes had started week one of 2017, I still think he'd be a top three quarterback or however you want to categorize him right now. Like I, I don't think that, I think that's kind of overblown. Like Josh Rosen, I think it's kind of been proven he just doesn't have it. Like he just can't play at this level or can't start at this level. But whereas someone like Mahomes and like like Mitch Trubisky waited, they waited like he didn't start until about halfway through the 2017 season. He still he sucks. Still, exactly. He still like sucks. He yeah. still looks like he's in college. Well, yeah. He had like 10 starts before he went to the NFL. Like mm-hmm. well, He still looks like he's trying to figure it out. And he just can't throw to the left side of the field, which, which is, is an a issue. problem. That's, that's, a problem. How, that's how <laughs> Yeah, that's a little field. bit of a problem. <laughs> that's fair. That is fair. <laughs> Then you ha- you have a guy like like Cam Newton as well who looks really off and I believe he's was out of practice whether it was today which is Tuesday or Monday whatever it was but 
Uh, maybe Will Greer. We see some Will Greer action for the Panthers. Well, that they, could be interesting. They should have drafted Finley. Well, they know? actually said they actually said the Panther. Ron Rivera said that if Cam can't go, it's going to be Kyle Allen who starts. Okay. Kyle so, Allen sucks. So he does. Very I'm very become Will Greer. I don't understand why you don't give Greer the start. Like I mean, I guess I guess unless he's just legitimately not ready, which that makes plenty of sense. But what like what has Kyle Allen proven shown that he's ready? Like why not use a guy you just drafted? But Maybe Cam will go. I don't think he's going to play. I think he's going to sit out this week. But, I mean, we'll see. Yeah. I, I think he's just broken. Like, his yeah. body's he, just – and it's the Panthers' he fault. Yeah. He's had – I saw something. Every year since 2013, he's had a different starting left tackle, which that is the most important position on the offensive line. And the Panthers haven't been able to find a guy to hold down that spot, which it's you, you ruin a quarterback that way. Well, I'm not going to put that entirely on – the Panthers, you know, a guy like Russell Wilson has had terrible low lines. He's still here because he plays smart. You know, sometimes people think because you can run, you should run. You shouldn't all the time. You know, you have to protect your body, and that's something that people are learning now. I think what? the problem with Cam was that it was so engraved into his style of play, and he needed to. If When he's not running like he's not now, he just looks like he's not into the game. And I think that's, that's a big problem for him. And... If he's not into the game, he's just not going to play well. Yeah, and you see now mobile quarterbacks are starting to think to themselves, hey, I need to be able to throw because I can't run forever. You know, Lamar Jackson, who's killing it, he kept telling people last year, I can throw, I can throw. They didn't believe it, but he worked his butt off this summer. Not bad for a running back, right? Yeah, not (laughs) bad at all. I I hate it for for guys like Breeze and Roethlisberger because they're still playing well, especially Breeze. Breeze puts up these numbers every year. And, you know, in my opinion, he's he's probably higher up on the the all-time quarterback list than they are. it is for other people. I think he's one of the best, if not the best quarterback of all time, just based on his, his arm skill and just how long he's been playing and putting up those numbers. But, you know, those guys have, have these couple years remaining before they have to retire unless, you know, Tom Brady goes forever. But um, <laughs> Tom but, Brady's going to be a cyborg before he yeah, retires. We'll, I'm we'll, sorry. S- we'll see how long he plays. But, you know, you have a couple of years left to, to really show what you can do still and, and not necessarily pad the stats, but make your numbers higher than they are now. Yeah, no, I, I saw, I think, I think a tweet that, you know, Drew Brees and Tom Brady are really close to the all-time record for touchdowns. And it was going to be interesting to see who got there first. Mm-hmm. Now it won't because he's not going to be out there. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, we're going to move away from that and go to our main topic today, and that is NC State football. It it was not a good showing against West Virginia. I don't remember the, the final score. I don't really care. Oh, oh I do. Yeah. I do because... I drove seven hours. In That's the, true. You in guys a, had a great a, time car, you know, to get up there. So I remember it was 44 to 27. <laughs> what was it? 44 to 27. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I don't really know what to say about this loss, to be honest. I'm going to let you guys start. They they just didn't look like they were ready to play. They just didn't look like they were prepared for West Virginia to come out swinging. Yeah, I mean, right after the game, Doran pretty much admitted that they got out coached, And he also said... You know, he tried to sell the team. West Virginia got beat bad last week. They're going to come out and be physical. NC State wasn't ready for it. I mean, the O-line got absolutely torn up, especially at center and left tackle. You know, they didn't come ready to play. West Virginia came ready to play, and they were hitting. You know, and NC State, they got hit, and they backed up. And that's not what you want to see on the road. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, it, from the very first drive of the game, NC State just looked out of sync on offense. 
It stayed that way pretty much the whole game, except when they would actually stick to their strengths and run the ball, which they didn't do enough of. But um, the offensive line I thought was bad. I thought it was all right run blocking. The the run game actually looked pretty good, but just couldn't pass block. Um, I think that was partially on Matt McKay, who go and just get that out of the way, looked terrible. Just didn't look like he had it at all. Um, I think he held the ball a little bit too long sometimes, but he they also had pass rushers in his face instantly sometimes. But I It mean, seems like he was struggling with short passes, like just like skipping him into the ground, not able to find his receivers even from 5, 10, 15 yards. Right, so I touched on this a little bit in my takeaways. You know, one thing Doran will always say about Matt McKay is he doesn't turn the ball over. You know, when you think of Matt McKay's throws in terms of him not turning the ball over, it makes sense. So if a, if a receiver is in a group of guys, right, he throws it low, he throws it too low. It's at their feet, right? If a receiver's got somebody on his right side, he'll throw it to the left side too far away from him. So he's trying to make these really tough throws to not make mistakes, and I think he's trying a little bit too hard to be perfect, and that's really hurting him. Yeah, I think, I mean, you look at his stat line, he threw for just over 200 yards on 48 attempts. So just barely over four yards per attempt. That's just, that's like incomprehensibly bad. And I, I agree with what Jalen's saying. Like, Doran loves his quarterbacks that don't turn the ball over. Like, Ryan Finley didn't turn the ball over much. At the same time, really didn't win you games. He kept you in every game. Yeah. Matt, Matt McKay's not Ryan Finley. Like, yeah. he, he's not going to keep you in the games. If you have him throw 48 times, you're probably going to lose that game. Matt like, McKay should never throw more than 25 times no, in the game is yeah. what I would think. It's to you know? Keep him 25 to 30 to, yeah. in that range. He doesn't need to be throwing almost 50 times a game. And, yeah, like Camden was saying, he was missing throws. Even as he, had, he was 23 for 48, so below 50% completion percentage. But of those 23 completions, a lot of them – were bad throws, were throws that maybe a receiver had room to catch and run but wasn't able to because it was behind him. Or maybe it was a throw that a defender almost picked off or that was almost batted down. But even his completions were just not very good throws. The most interesting stat that I remember from this game was how much he targeted Amezi. Yeah. It was like he had 23 targets to him or something like that and yeah. it, you know Amezi had 11 catches or 12 12 catches for yeah. you know over 100 yards but it's i don't just, is that just because Amezi's that good he's that open like why was why was he targeting him so much so when you force a quarterback to throw so many times at some point he's going to turn to a security blanket right and that's Mecca Amezi Matt trusts him more than any other receiver on the roster so when things get tough you know he's going to go to him you know I would encourage people when they watch the games, don't even watch the routes. Watch Matt's feet while he drops back to pass. He is, he, I won't say he's playing scared, he's playing uncertain. So he can have his number one primary read wide open. He'll still be shuffling his feet, throwing off his back foot. I mean, it's just, he's got to settle down and he's got to look around because you can't win games in SEC play thrown to a Mezzi 23 times. You know, you have to spread it around to your playmakers. Absolutely. And I think also, um, not to like, like, McKay was bad for sure, but a lot of it was the offensive play calling too. I mean, they constantly, they, they kept going back to their RPOs, which just is not Matt McKay's strength. And Doran ended up touching on, I think, either in the postgame presser or yesterday in his press conference. He said that that was on the coaching staff, that they need to start doing more of what, they need to start calling more of what Matt McKay is good at and less of what he is not good at. But how, how, you've seen him for long enough. You should know if he can handle an RPO or not. And he couldn't. 
And as a result, they got away from the run, which was doing well. I think Zondervan Knight and Ricky Person combined for around five, maybe a little bit over five yards per carry. They were running strong. You look at their, they had three touchdown drives. I think every single drive they had, I think it was at least like 60% of the yards gained were on rushing yards. Um, they, they were doing well running the ball, but they got away from it too early. And then before they were even able to get back, it they were down to pretty much as soon as the block punt happened and they were playing from behind, it, it was over. Like that they was, weren't going to catch that up. That was the thing for me. It was the running game. And, you know, I think the coaching staff has said it. We've said it that the running game is the best part of this offense. That is the strength of this offense. And it seemed like they just didn't use it that much. And I know, Jalen, I think you wrote it in, in your article or somewhere that. They needed to be in that running game, and for whatever reason, they just completely got away from it for long periods of time during the game, and I just don't understand that in game three, why they would do that. It's not like it's not like, it's not like they didn't know, like, their running game is good. Right, so you've got a classic problem of coaches getting too cute. I mean, NC State did a couple things really well the first two games, right? Running the ball, jet sweeps, you know— a little bit of RPO, but it was slants going to Thayer, and that really killed teams. Um, they got away from that. You know, Thayer didn't really have slant passes where he was killing teams. There were no jet sweeps at all. You said that Tabari Hines, like, what, didn't touch the ball or had one target? He had three targets. Okay. Uh, Keon Lassane didn't touch the ball at all. Yeah, he's right. one of the Lassane. fastest guys on the roster. You know, that, that, that can't seems happen. Like, that seems like something we that NC State needs to stay with because it yeah. worked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like... I get that you don't want to play into the defense's hands if they know what you're doing, but also, dude, you got to do what you're good at. You know, why are we throwing halfback screens three times when McKay, McKay can't even get the ball out there? You know, it's just – and there was one there was one three-play um, drive where they ran the ball for five yards, ran the ball for four yards. We get to third down. There's an RPO play yep. called, like, what? And, that, and McKay gets sacked. <laughs> you know, it's it's coaches getting too cute, and at this point, you can't have coaches that aren't doing their job along with players who aren't doing their job. You know, we need someone to be solid here, and it's got to be the coaches at first, if, at least, you know? And while I do think the offense was definitely the worst part of the team, the defense wasn't great either. Now, I, I no, don't sir. think, I don't think, like, I think the 44 points allowed <laughs> – Kind of makes the defense look a little bit worse than it was. They got the the West Virginia scored like on a ten yard drive after they blocked a punt. They scored, I think, uh, I think two touchdowns off of when NC State had to go for it from in their own territory. And that's what happens when your offense isn't good. You have yeah, to punt the, the ball defense from look worse. deep inside your zone. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it's a short field. You know, the West Virginia had to go 50, 60 yards, whatever it is to score, and that just isn't, that's not going to work. Yeah. yeah but I the mean, defense was bad. <laughs> it, it, it was bad, and I'd say watching the game back, I pretty much disregarded everything after the first half, which they gave up 21 in the first half, so there's still a lot to look at there. And number one, I came away really disappointed in Jarius Moorhead. He had a absolutely terrible game, in my opinion. You know, and he's he's supposed to be one of the leaders of the defense. We were hearing things during summer. Oh, Jarius dropped 10 pounds. He's going to be so much faster this year. He's slow, man. He's slow, and I see him way too many times on long runs just jogging after the ball carrier instead of running. You know, there's one play where Jarius is jogging after the guy. Tashawn Smith runs from the other side of the field and makes a tackle. And it's just effort plays, and there's also boneheaded mistakes like Calvin Hart jumping on a pile after the play's over. You know, there's Jarius hitting a guy out of bounds. Yeah. Those are two 15-yard penalties 
that just lengthen the other team's drives and end up gaining the points on the board. It's just it's it's unacceptable. And here's my thing with the defense too is the defensive backs played poorly, but the, the at halftime they didn't make any adjustments. Like so West Virginia's Sam James killed him in the first half. They didn't even try to double team him in the second half. They still left him on an island. He was still wide open almost every single play. I mean, Sam James had nine catches for 155 yards. No one else on West Virginia had more than 38 yards. Like, no, it's not like the whole offense was in sync. It was just Sam James was open, and he made a quarterback in Austin Kendall, who isn't very good, look like Trevor Lawrence almost. Like, right. it, it was it, the defense and Dave Huxtable just refused to make an adjustment. And, and NC State was still in the game at that point. Like yeah. halftime, I don't remember, was it tied or one score? It was, it was yeah. tied, yeah. So you go into the second half, you definitely still have a chance to win this game, and it just looked like they came out flat and West Virginia came out firing again. And to be to be extremely fair to the defense, the defense kept this team in the game late with yeah. that interception. And how did the offense do? Three and out in the red zone yeah. with the field goal, you know, where you wanted a touchdown. So... The defense was bad because everybody was bad, but the defense was far from the worst unit on the field, I'd say. And part of what made Sam James, what is his name? Sam James? Sam James. Part of why he went off so much was injuries. Your top corner, Nick McLeod, out for the game, you know, he was their number one receiver. That guy should have been going up against Nick McLeod, but instead he's going up against Keyshawn Miller, who's going to be the starter for the next game, and Tashawn Smith, who aren't as good as McLeod is. And then we found out just before the game, like before we even, it was after we even got to the stadium that James Smith-Williams is in a walking boot, which we had known he was banged up, but yeah. we didn't think he was going to miss a game. Well, the word that they said was it was just precautionary. Right. He's in a boot, it's precautionary, you know, which led us to believe he was going to be fine. You know, we're looking from the press box down on the field like, hey, <laughs> is that Jason Williams in that booth? <laughs> you know? And the other starting defensive end, you know, uh, Bola Pelli, we didn't even notice that he was hurt until, you know, during, during the game. The game. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, hey, he's on the sideline. What's going on with that? You know, that's two defensive linemen out, two key players, and that impacts your ability to rush the passer. And I think that was a big part is Austin Kendall had time to sit in the pocket and let Sam James get open. If you've got James Smith-Williams and Joseph Bola Pelli barreling down at you, you're not going to have that time. And I, I do think, like, a lot of how well a passer does, how well a quarterback does, and like how bad he can make an opposing secondary look is based on the defensive line. Like if the defensive line isn't getting pressure, even the best secondary is going to get torn apart. And I think that's what happened. And I think like if if honestly if you ask me straight up like, hey, what are the two people NC State can't afford to lose on defense? I'd probably say James Smith Williams. And Nick McLeod. Maybe you can put Murchison in there. But I would probably say those two. You don't want to lose your best pass rusher on the outside, and you don't want to lose your best defensive back. And that's what happened. <laughs> there was no pressure at all. No, it just no. didn't. It looked like he had all the time in the world. He looked like he was going to win a Heisman this year. Like, no, um, there was one sack. I believe there were three tackles for loss. And to be fair, there were also some plays where they were in the backfield they couldn't tackle, yeah, you know, no. and you can't miss tackles in the road. So moving on from that game, like NC State is going to have to do, the Pack play Ball State at home on Saturday. It's a night game, seven o'clock. So blackout, blackout. Hopefully the fans will will show up for it and you know still be excited. But Ball State is one and two. McKay looks like he's going to be the starter. 
possibly see Hawkman maybe? Right. So I was I was telling some people um right before Doran's availability. Um I think Hawkman should play at least a half this game. And I'll tell you why. Um I think NC State fans need to see why McKay is starting. I think they need to see just how bad Bailey Hawkman and Devin Leary are so that they can accept that McKay is the best option, right? Like, there are two things here. Either Hawkman is better than McKay, and for some reason, the coaches keep throwing him out there, or more likely, he is the best option that they have. And I think NC State fans need to reevaluate and understand I don't think there's a savior coming in this situation. They're not just going to pull somebody off the bench and be like, you're Trevor Lawrence, go out there and win us a championship. You know, Matt McKay is the guy. We've got to let him grow. Here's my thing with this, though. I don't know if Matt McKay is the guy as much as he's Dave Doran's guy. Like, we talked about McKay doesn't turn the ball over, which, okay, that's good. But at the same time, when you're not turning the ball over at the cost of taking chances on big plays, we don't know if that's good. Now, Bailey Hawkman, and again, we haven't seen him in a game. Yeah. But... He's maybe more of a gunslinger type, which he definitely, from from what he was in high school, he definitely likes to throw it. Like he'll throw it all over the field. The thing is, Dorn might not like he might Hawkman might be too aggressive. But if you're gonna throw the ball 48 times, might as well throw the ball 48 times with a quarterback who is aggressive and who can throw it further accurately more than. 10 to 12 yards down the field. Well, the other thing is we don't know why McKay is starting. Right. So it could be Hawkman is more turnover prone. It could also be Hawkman doesn't know the plays, right? So that's two levels. It, it might not just be he takes chances. You know, if someone doesn't know the plays, you can't put him out there, period. And so I think just for transparency's sake and because Ball State sucks, just go ahead, give Hawkman a half and let fans see just kind of what NC State has going. That's certainly what I wish would happen, but I think Doran is going to try and double down on the McKay as our guy, and he's going to try and keep Matt McKay's confidence high and play him the whole game. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we only see Hawkman in the last couple drives of the fourth quarter in garbage time. I, I don't think Hawkman sees, which I think is the wrong choice, but from seven going on seven years of Dave Doran, he's all about the starting quarterback having confidence. And I don't think he would risk shaking McKay's confidence, which I, I don't agree with, but that's just personally what I think he'll do. Well, if that's how he decides to do it, I wouldn't be surprised because you're about to hand the ACC play. McKay just got really punched in the mouth against West Virginia. It's a tune-up game. You know, if you want to get his confidence up against a bad team in Ball State, I can understand that approach too. Ball State, 1-2 and two so far, a 10-point loss to Indiana, a 10-point loss to FAU, and a 28-point win to Fordham. That means they've scored a lot of points, thirty over 37 per game. It also means, because they're 1-2, and two, they have given up a lot of points, which is at 35 points per game. So it looks like the offense is good. You know, the FAU and Indiana aren't bad teams, so what are we going to see from them on offense? Um, I think they score. You know, that's about as much as I'll give them. Um, <laughs> FAU isn't known for having a great defense. Um, I'm not too familiar with Indiana, and Fordham's terrible. So I don't think they're going to be as great as the stats show that they are. I certainly don't think they get to 300 yards passing, um, and certainly not 37 points, I would hope. Um, I think they could score a couple touchdowns, but this is going to be a week where NC State's going to look to dominate after last week, and – I could see this getting ugly. Yeah, I think if NC State had beaten West Virginia last week, 
I think this game would be a little bit closer, but NC is going to come out looking to just destroy Ball State. And honestly, like lo- looking at, you said like you lost Indiana, you lost Indiana FAU, the two competent Division One teams you play, yeah. and you beat Fordham, which I don't honestly, know Fordham is. didn't even know it's in New York. <laughs> it didn't even know it had a football team. So, and you still let up almost you let up twenty nine points to Fordham. Yeah. So. I, <laughs> I think NC State's going to come. I think they're going to run the ball down Ball State's throat. I think you're going to see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Zonovan Knight and Ricky Person both got 100 yards. Like I think there's going to be big runs. I think you're going to see at least a couple runs of 25 yards or more from Zonovan. Ricky might grind out more yards. Obviously, he's not as explosive. But I think McKay's going to be what he was against ECU in Western Carolina, where he's efficient, probably only throws the ball about 25 times, around 250 yards-ish. And I think that his throws will be. I think hopefully they'll revert. They'll go back to what they did well. I think you're going to see hopefully Tabari Hines and Keon Lassane get the ball on runs, get the ball on jet sweeps. I think you're going to see like they had the play that they ran twice against ECU. First time McKay missed him. Second time he hit Tabari Hines. That wheel route out of the backfield where Hines is unaccounted for down the right sideline. Um, you're going to see more creativity because the offense was stagnant against West Virginia because it wasn't creative at all. It was bland. Like yeah. they weren't doing their stretch plays. It was a run up the middle or an RPO, and that was it. Yeah. Um, what I want to see from McKay, I want him to pass the ball um, like a quarterback who has just contempt for the defensive backs. Yeah. I want him to believe that his wide receivers are so good that if it's anywhere near them, they're going to go up and get it. I want him to be confident that he's not going to get picked off. No matter what, you know, I want to see how he plays when he plays like he knows he's so much better than the other team. and He's yeah. just going to be fine. Yeah, I, I think it'll end up being like I think NC State gets to but somewhere between 40 and 50. And I think obviously Ball State is not at the same level as Indiana State or as NC State. But I think their offense is decent, especially for a group of five school. I, I could see him putting up a couple touchdowns, a few touchdowns. Um but I think NC State's going to try and just, and I think they're going to go all 60 minutes. Like, I don't think they're going to let up. I think they're, even if they put Bailey Hawkman in late in the game, like for garbage time, I think they're going to be trying to score with yeah. Bailey Hawkman. Yeah. The Ball State quarterback, Drew Plitt, is at 345 yards per game, 70% completion, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions, and the team has five receivers at over 130 yards. So it seems like they're going to spread it around a lot. It seems like Drew Plitt, at least against, Maybe lesser competition has you know picked them apart on offense, but we will see what NC State is able to do. Um, Jalen, we're going to go to you um, with your your weekly hot take. What you got for this week? Right. So last week I said Matt McKay would throw for three touchdowns. He threw for one. <laughs> he had one to a Mezzi that was almost a touchdown. It was yeah. so close. He had two actually. They were almost. Um, but this week we're going to go to the run game. Um, I think NC State's running backs combined for five touchdowns against Ball State. And it might be more, but I'm going to stick with five. I think that that's a pretty safe bet. I wouldn't be surprised. I think they're going to be score. I don't think they're going to have long, sustained drives. Like, I think they're going to be scoring on big plays. And I think the most explosive part of this offense is Jordan Houston, Zonovan Knight, Tabari Hines, and Keon Lassane around the edges. Like, I, I think they're going to be scoring on big running plays. I don't think Matt McKay is going to have to do too much. I think this could turn into like an ECU last year type slaughter. So I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> if an O-lineman scores, it counts the running back. <laughs> <laughs> five rushing touchdowns. Yeah, five rushing touchdowns. Let's say that. I do want to point out that Christopher Dunn missed a field goal. 
Well, that's all your fault. Not, let's that's not all put your that fault. against him. I, I know, but my hot take is now done for the year, and it's just too early, and I'm just sad about it. So. You know, it's unfortunate. Do you have another one that you want to put forward? Maybe that'll last longer? I'd have to think about it. I, I don't know. At this point, I'm not really sure what I know about this team. So That's a good point. I'll, I'll try to come back next week with a good one. All right, got you. All right. I think that's all we got for you guys today. So we appreciate you tagging along. Again, I'm your host, Technician Sports Editor Camden Spate. I'm Assistant Sports Editor Jay Cacavara. And I'm Video Editor Jalen Harrington. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>